you might think that there's something going on with your organic sales that are driving this without realizing that 90% of your organic sales when you're a smaller business is oftentimes just your brand name. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 58, and today's guest is William Harris. William is the founder and CEO of digital marketing agency, Element where he and his team are helping brands acquire new customers and retain the ones they have through an array of digital capabilities. He was also a nurse earlier in his career, so listen to how and why he made the pivot from helping his patients to helping his clients. It's a great story. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wow Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook podcast. Today, I'm joined by William Harris. William is the founder and CEO of Element, which Inc. Magazine ranked as the fastest growing agency in Minnesota with 13 acquisitions and counting. William is an author on Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Shopify, and many other top publications where he writes about e-commerce, advertising, and leadership. When he's not working, he's usually hanging out with his family, playing worship songs on the guitar, or talking about cryptocurrencies. William, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Uh, so, uh, talking about cryptocurrencies, so does that mean you have nothing left to talk about? <laughs> you know what, though? Here's the thing. I was at VCon, actually, just this past weekend. Gary Vaynerchuk was in town in Minnesota here, uh, which was a lot of fun. You know... Cryptocurrencies have certainly, uh, they've, they've taken a little bit of a dump here, right? But I'd say the same thing is true for, let's say, stock market and everything else, right? I think everything's taking a little bit of a hit right now, cryptocurrencies included. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and hopefully we'll get back on a, on a better trail. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be able to chat with you today. I, I know uh, I've known you for about a year. I've really appreciated uh, our friendship and, and frankly, the, uh, the level of detail that you and your agency, you know, go through. I think you bring up, you know, lots of good ideas. You guys are subject matter experts and um, you know, your team is very passionate about uh, the clients that you have. But, you know, before we talk about Element and make your head too big <laughs> for that room you're sitting in. Always like to start the show and, and get some perspective on the guest, you know, kind of their first story, you know, where you grew up and, and you have uh, a very interesting first story because you did quite a lot of things outside of the uh, digital media and marketing vertical. So why don't you tell us about your upbringing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, nobody's actually asked that uh, from me before on a podcast. You know, earlier you had talked about whether there was anything also that, you know, kind of signaled that I would likely end up starting a business one day. I thought about it. And what's interesting is I grew up just in the southwest end of Canton, Ohio, a rough neighborhood, certainly a lot of places that are rougher and poorer, uh, but it wasn't an easy neighborhood. 
And um, I can just remember my mom being very uh, influential in, in the early days there where she taught me a lot about hard work, uh, got a paper route uh, when I was 11 years old. And my brothers and I, my younger brothers here, I had two younger brothers, we'd wrap the paper bag around our bikes and we'd ride off just like uh, the Paperboy game on Nintendo. Um, but she taught us how to do the job right, which I think was important. So we wouldn't just throw that in the yard uh, where the paper would get ruined. Uh, I think it was important we you know take it take the time to put it in between the doors so that way people could have their paper and it was in you know good shape and everything. So I think there was a lot there uh, for where my mom kind of kind of helped train that into me. Uh, and then my dad got a uh, he had a, a love for electronics and so did I. Uh, and so he he got us our first computer when it was uh, we were still pretty young, um, way out of his price range. Uh, and I think it was Windows ninety five. Um, but he was a machine programmer, right? So he wanted us to to know about how computers work uh, because he was believed that was going to be really important uh, one of these days. And so, yeah, I think there was a lot about my upbringing that kind of started to signal that. But I think where you were going at with, with uh, was maybe the nursing stuff, right? Uh, yeah, that uh, you don't see a lot of guys that are running digital businesses today who had a prior career as a nurse. <laughs> so... This one's a longer story, but let me make sure I don't get too carried away on this one. Uh, I wanted to be a rock star, uh, and my mom said that's not really a career path. Uh, and so she kind of put me in the direction of nursing because uh, I like to help people, and I always have enjoyed helping people growing up. And I looked at it, and you could work three days a week, uh, and then you'd have four days a week off. That was considered full-time, and I thought, oh, that's perfect. I can, I can work and still have my band, right? Once I got into it, though, it was, it was kind of interesting. I kind of found that I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, also, somebody who loves math and science, um, I memorized pi out to 59 digits just on my way to work the one day, right? Really, really like math and science. And there's a lot that's uh, in there uh, as well. I, uh, once I was in nursing for a little bit, um, 2008, 2009 happened. Uh, and that was, you know, the, the last recession here that we're talking about. That was a pretty good one. At the time, I was told that I'd never have to worry about having a job again as a nurse. Say, like, oh, you know, male nurse, you're set for life. This is you're you're good, right? Um, and that was a that was a big thing for me to have accomplished, coming from the neighborhood that I was in. Um, well, 2008, 2009 happens. I get laid off from nursing. Right, well, this stinks. Uh, so I decided, you know what? I'm going to diversify my education. I'm going to go back and get a degree then. Uh, in marketing. So I went back and got a degree uh, at nighttime in marketing, still found a gig uh, in nursing for a little while while I was doing that during the daytime. Really, I, I started to get a, the hang of the, the marketing stuff and enjoyed it. There was this uh, kind of, a, it was called CAP simulation, where you would model run a business for eight weeks. And each week was a year within this business's life. And you would do CEO, COO, CFO, right? You're deciding whether you're giving stocks and options, all every, completely running it. And you competed against a bunch of other businesses uh, all, all over the United States. I don't think it was the world. It was just the United States, but it was, uh, or not businesses, but they were uh, you know, other schools. So uh, Yale was in this program, et cetera. At the end of these eight weeks, I had taken 81% of the total market share, wiped everybody else completely out of the game except for two people. There were only two other um, teams still running in this business. And I thought, I like this. Uh, so now I had a hunger, right, uh, for, for whatever that would be. And I think the, the short way to bridge back into how does this land into marketing agency, advertising agency, I ended up uh, realizing in nursing that they had a big scheduling issue. 
okay, well, how do I figure out this, how to fix their scheduling issue? I started working on some software to kind of fix that. And I reached out to a guy named Chad Halverson who ran a company called When I Work. Uh, they were scheduling software for hourly workers. Um, and I wanted to use his API uh, to build out the rest of what I needed from his software to help fix it in the hospitals. Uh, and he said, actually, we're getting some VC money here. How about you actually just run our marketing team as we start really growing and ramping and building what we're doing? Okay, that sounds good. So I did that. We grew 270% that first seven months, I think, that I was there, built out the marketing team. And, and it was like, okay, not just in a simulation, but I'm, I'm really doing this in the real world. Um, did that then for uh, an e-commerce store then. And uh, it, I think they were doing about 10 figures a year or so when I joined. Um, and started writing about the things and tactics I was doing on entrepreneur, on fast company. And people started reaching out saying, well, I, I need help with my business. Can you help me? And being somebody who likes to help people, who likes math and who likes science. And I said, well, sure, I can help you. And that kind of turned into an agency. Cool. And, and do you still remember pi to 59 digits? Uh, pretty sure. <laughs> do you want me no, to reset thanks. it now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, thanks. Um, that, that's good. Well, you know, look, it, it's interesting how people, you know, their career, you know, take, uh, you know, different turns to get where they are today. That's great that you went through the the nursing. And you know what? Uh, I think that many in the medical profession are rock stars. So maybe you achieved uh, that rock star status uh, as a nurse. Uh, but we're glad that you uh, you moved into uh, digital advertising. So you know there were a number of stops along the way, and but let's let's focus on Element. What got you started with Element? When did you start the business? You know what was the the solve that you were trying to help potential clients uh, do? I think the biggest thing for me when we started Element um, was recognizing, and I'd heard this a number of times from bosses and stuff like that as they worked with agencies was, ah, the agency just doesn't get it. And I thought, okay, well, what don't they get, right? And so I'm trying to dig into this and I realized what they don't get is they don't get business. For, for a while, I thought it meant that they don't understand our niche, right? Like, oh, they don't understand our version of apparel or they don't understand golf balls or whatever the niche was. And I realized that's not really the case. That's helpful. But I think a lot of agencies do try to really put themselves in the shoes of that. What I think the biggest thing that was missing was, for instance, the way that we operate now is most of our clients actually share their P&L with us. And we optimize their ad campaigns around EBITDA, around profit. And it's very different because you can get a better ROAS and lose profit. And that seems counterintuitive, but the agency can pat themselves on the back and say, look, we improved your return on ad spend, but you actually didn't return improve profit. So I think that was the biggest key. Okay. So let me interrupt you there just for a second. So, you know, when new clients come to you, uh, what do you find? I'm sure it's a, a, a blend of everything, but what, what do you find? Are they knowledgeable for the most part? Um, are they not knowledgeable and really are looking for guidance? You know, does it take, it must take lots of different approaches, right? The, the simple answer is that it's nuanced, I guess. Uh, some clients come to us very knowledgeable. Um, some clients come right and they, they're working with people and they understand they have their MBA. They, they, they absolutely understand finance and this makes a lot of sense to them. I'd say that's fewer of the clients though. A lot of clients come to us, uh, especially we're, we're dealing with e-commerce businesses and our sweet spot is between about that 50 to a hundred million dollar range. 
Um, but we still have clients that we're taking on under that, right? And the majority of them, they're, uh, they're entrepreneurs. Um, and so they understood the problem they were solving, but they're not necessarily math geeks or, uh, you know, P&L spreadsheet type geeks. And so I think they come to us with at least a semblance of knowing what's worked for them so far, but not necessarily where to go from where they are to get to where they want to be. Do they seemingly understand what their cost of acquisition should be or what their retention rates are or what their break even you know, numbers are like, I mean, because my, you know, I get the sense when I consult often is that people just don't know what their targets should be. And therefore they're kind of saying, all right, we're going to spend a bunch of money. Um, we're hopefully it's going to get, you know, get us growth in revenues and growth in profits, but they don't really have the targets in place. How do you help them with that? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, and I would agree with you that the majority of businesses don't know what those should be. I think sometimes they'll come in with an idea of what they think it might be, or at least where it is, but not whether that's the right number or not for what they want to do. How do we help them? Um, we actually just dig into that stuff first. Before we even take somebody on as a client, we like to work with them on those numbers to make sure that we think that they have what it takes to go and actually hit the goals that they want to do. Um, so we start working in, um, you know, what is their what is their margin? What is their overhead with this? What, what are their COGS as a percentage of sales? How much is shipping cost as a percentage of sales? sales? And trying to use those to help them work through a framework that we put together uh, and, and walk them through, this is what we think makes the most sense for you. And we usually like to get their finance team on as well. So a lot of times, right, we're talking to the marketing person and the marketing person oftentimes at the company has no clue what the EBITDA is. It's not something they're even looking at uh, very often, depending on the level of, of business that you're getting into, but for a lot of entrepreneurs. And so we like the finance person to also be present at those meetings too, so we can kind of help them say, does this make sense to you, finance team, as well, what we're pr proposing here? I think that's kind of uh, the key, though, is being able to get both of those uh, teams on the same page. Got it. And and as you think about the marketing tactics that you help um, brands with, maybe maybe talk about those marketing tactics, and then I'll, I have some questions about how they have been changing. Tactic-wise, there's a lot of ways that people try to go about building their business. Um, one of our favorite ways, obviously, the, the bread and butter for what we do is on the advertising side of things. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to uh, expand out on advertising and use that to increase the EBITDA, to increase your profit, so that way you can pay for other growth tactics that might be a little bit slower and longer, like SEO. So we also do the SEO, but more often than not, I tell people, let's, let's fix what you're doing on the advertising side, increase your profitability, then we can do that on the SEO side, because that could take a little bit more time. There's a lot of opportunity there for a lot of e-commerce stores that they're missing out on. Um, because they think SEO oftentimes is just improving maybe product pages or collection pages, which is, you know, maybe 10% of the total keywords that they could actually go after. Whereas if we get into the blog and top of funnel keywords, things that where people don't know what they're looking for, they don't know your solution yet. There's a lot more opportunity there. And a good example of that would be, let's say that you're selling uh, nice sandals or something. And this is a, a, a bad idea, but it's just the first thing that popped in my head for some reason. Uh, you know, people might not know that they're looking for your sandals and you can optimize your product pages and your collection pages uh, and you'll, you'll capture some of that, that keyword traffic. 
Uh, or you could say, what are the top 10 sandals for an outdoor wedding, right? Or 10 things to look for in a sandal at an outdoor wedding. Well, that's very top of funnel. They're not looking for you yet, uh, but that's something where there might be a lot more keyword volume around uh, these types of things where they're trying to even figure out what is the solution to their problem. All right. And because there's so many different places to spend money, you know, when you get a new client, you know, I shall assume that, you know, you're looking at what they're doing today, but how do you then, you know, determine, you know, stop doing some of this, you know, because it's not productive, start doing, you know, some of this, um, you know, how, how do you think about that? And, and then also maybe uh, talk about that in the context of, uh, and helping our listeners uh, understand what it means top of funnel, mid funnel, and bottom of the funnel? I think we got stuck for a while in our space uh, with direct response being the everything. Um, we, we were poisoned with immediate feedback on a lot of this data where you, you run the ads and you see, the, you see the, uh, the return that the platform is gonna take credit for from that. The problem that I think happened as a result is it overly favored uh, let's say things that might not has been, have been as incremental. Uh, for instance, maybe it overly favored some of the retargeting uh, that would take place. And so people would say, well, I, I'm getting a lot better return on ad spend from this retargeting, so I'm just going to spend more there instead of on the prospecting, which has a lower return of ad spend, um, but is arguably likely driving more net new business, right? And then I think along those lines, what happened was everybody said, okay, well, let's get into uh, this single, single source of truth. And I think the problem with a single source of truth uh, is that you, you're guaranteed to miss part of the story. One of the ways that I like to talk about this is like an x-ray. If you break your wrist, and, and I broke plenty of bones uh, doing some pretty crazy things. Uh, family likes to tease me about one of them. I was a uh, little tangent here, but uh, doing a, a backflip on a pogo stick off of a loading dock naturally broke my wrist, didn't quite land that as well as I'd hoped. And this was, you know, high school or so, which is still embarrassing to say that I'm still doing things like that in high school. But when the doctor did the x-rays, he, he didn't just do one view of my wrist, because if he would have, he would have missed the full extent of what the break was doing. So he does the AP view, does the lateral view. And now you can start to see a three-dimensional picture of what's going on with this. And anytime I hear somebody say, oh, well, this is our single source of truth. We use you know, uh, NetSuite or Google Analytics or whatever, uh, all that tells me is that you're absolutely missing at least 50% of the story to make these uh, decisions. And so I think the biggest thing that we try to do is help uh, new clients understand how to look at their data better, how to measure that data better. And one of the metrics that I really like is MER, um, media efficiency rate. And it's for the sole reason that it ignores all attribution and simply says week over week, month over month, are you, are you still doing the right thing overall? William, how do you calculate MER? Yeah, total revenue divided by total ad spend. That works better for the e-commerce brands. When you get into uh, brands that are also getting into a lot of offline retail stuff, it gets more complicated. You can still use the same metric, uh, but there are some nuances that we like to apply in those situations. Uh, but the idea is simply, if you're looking at it from an e-commerce perspective, if you're looking at your total revenue divided by your total ad spend, there should be a ratio that you say, we need to be spending some amount of money towards this and not more than that, right? 
And if you get to a point where all of a sudden you're spending too much, even if the platforms are all telling you that things are going well, you're going to look at this and say, we're still spending more than we should be based on where we're at, or we're not spending enough. We're only spending 2% of our revenue on, on reaching new people. We need to change up a little bit about what we're doing. So it's just a good equalizer that ignores all of the, the attribution that could take place. And the spend uh, on the denominator in that uh, formula, is that only paid media spend in there? So as opposed to other kinds of fees that you might be paying to an email provider or even fixed fees for an agency or what have you? Uh, we like to keep it that simple for the MER. We have variations of it like AMER, PMER, and different versions of that. But I like to keep it as simple as possible, which is just total revenue divided by total ad spend, because then that keeps it consistent of a number, no matter what else is going on. We do have different versions of it where we say, okay, what is the AMER, which for us is the agency MER. Let's also take that total revenue divided by the ad spend in the agency fee. Where does that put us at, right? And then we have different versions of that that we can use that tell different parts of the story. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. I want to come back to one thing you, you touched on before, and, and because I think it's important, um, you know, this concept of, you know, determining your success. Uh, some brands, you know, focused their success on ROAS return on ad spend. Um, but you talk about optimizing on EBITDA, you know, some, some measure of profit. So how are you helping those brands? And some of them, especially the smaller ones, don't really have quite the grasp on their the, the components of EBITDA? I think the biggest thing here is that before iOS 14 happened, a lot of times your return on ad spend could be so high in certain things that it would make you think you should spend more on tactics that aren't as incremental. And again, going back to like the easiest example of this would be retargeting. Um, I walked into a brand one time that had a frequency of 180 over the course of 30 days on their retargeting. They're, they're hitting somebody 180 times in 30 days. Uh, they were overspending on, on their uh, retargeting because their ROAS seemed high, but without realizing that, you know, it's taking credit for a lot of things that it didn't necessarily drive. Now, the, the flip side to this, though, is after iOS 14, one of the biggest things that we saw happen, and I could almost guarantee without even looking at somebody's account, was they would come to us and say, well, everything was working fine, and then in May, you know, everything just tanked and we pulled back on our ads and everything tanked even more. It's like, well, you stopped feeding the engine, which actually was working because you were looking at the return on ad spend. And so uh, hopefully everybody's at least aware enough uh, on this podcast about everything that happened with the attribution stuff after iOS 14. Why don't you just quickly explain, you know, what, what changed? Apple locked down a lot of the data that the platforms can get. And so Maybe before, if you spent a dollar, you got 10 or, or whatever, you, you spent some money and you got 10 sales, Facebook would get back most of those sales and know that it could attribute that to whatever is going or, or whatever platform. Uh, now, you still might get those 10 sales, but Facebook's only going to get information back about two of them. 
And so in platform, it looks like it's doing less than what it is doing, even though it still might be driving the same amount of sales. That's where MER can help to kind of round that out. But I think one of the things that happened then was, okay, so in May, everybody says, oh, in platform, our return on ad spend is lower than what we're used to it being. Let's pull back on our ad spend. Well, what happens is people start pulling back on their ad spend so much that it doesn't matter what kind of return they get now, they have overhead of a certain number and there's, you, you could triple your performance and you're not spending enough for it to ever actually get you up over your overhead. And so you just start losing money. And I think a lot of people got into a big world of hurt as a result of that. So one of the first things we were doing is just trying to help them understand, look, if you look at the correlations, and this is where I love correlations, and we do a lot of holdout tests and things like that to say, if we spend you know, this much money on, on let's say Facebook or, or whatever platform, and we look at just the revenue that's being driven by this, one of the easiest ways to do this then is to do it as a holdout test. And let's say, let's pick these five states. These other you know, 45 states, we're not gonna change anything. These five states, we're gonna double the budget on this platform. What happens to the revenue in those five states? If that goes up, and let's say it goes up a factor of five, so five to one, you spend $10,000 more and you get $50,000 more from those states, right? So that's really good. Whereas the other states stay the same, then you can say, well, that's a five to one return. And that's the MER. That would be an MER based on that, that holdout. But if you look in the platform, it might say a 1.2 return on ad spend. And you say, well, you didn't actually get a 1.2. You got a five. We know that for sure because we're actually looking in your wallet, right? We're looking at the actual money that went into the bank account. And it was five times greater than the amount that you spent as a result of that. So now you can at least correlate that and say, okay, let's do that again. Let's do that again. And now if you get to the point where we do this 13 weeks in a row, which we've done for some brands, it goes beyond just correlations and saying, this is causative. We increased it and your overall revenue went up. We increased it again, your revenue went up. Increase it again, your revenue continues to go up. You can ignore to a point what the platform is telling you. It's helpful. It's helpful to understand what's going on within the platform. It's just maybe misleading to say that that's your return on ad spend because it's not. It's just a number that kind of helps to understand if you're doing things well or not compared to what they are in platform. How, how do you deal with, with clients? You know, you said your sweet spot's 50 to 100 million, but you know, there's so many smaller clients, sub 20 million, sub 10 million, that were so heavily relate, relying on you know, Facebook and Insta to drive traffic to their site and, and get conversions. And you know, now they are kind of just tossing their hands in the air and, and almost out of business in some cases because they don't believe that they can drive traffic, qualified traffic to their sites any longer. Yeah, and, and for them, sometimes they're, they're too small to run a whole bunch of holdout tests, right? And that's kind of why we said from a data perspective, we really like working with the bigger businesses because there's more that we can do to prove out. But we have published a lot of this on our blog. Uh, I took, spent, uh, what, 7,000 words on one article about this, really helping people to understand it and showing- You, 7,000 <laughs> words. I never would have believed that. You know. Nobody, right? Uh, teachers used to say, put it in a nutshell. If you remember my sixth grade uh, language arts teacher, Mrs. Hall, well, I need you to put it in a nutshell. And that was the worst thing in the world she could ask me to do. They always say that writing something shorter is a lot more difficult than writing something that's longer, right? I would agree. I'm more inclined to pleonasm myself. Uh, but yeah, so if we, go, if we go with this idea of, okay, 
we we have a lot of the data there. Um, and, and the specific article I'm mentioning is element.com slash Facebook hyphen ROAS. And I'm sure we could put that in the links here. Um, but we show even what the incremental revenue looks like when you increase spend on Facebook, how it shows in Google Analytics. And it shows that as a result of that, there's also an incremental increase in uh, branded search revenue, in organic revenue, in direct traffic revenue, in paid search revenue without increasing the budget because some of paid search is branded search. And so all of these things have a net effect, whereas if you're just looking in the back end of Google Analytics, you might think that there's something going on with your organic sales that are driving this without realizing that 90% of your organic sales when you're a smaller business is oftentimes just your brand name. Well, why are people looking for your brand name? Because you started advertising on a more top of funnel platform like Facebook or YouTube, and they're seeing your brand and so they Google you. And so the first thing that we do oftentimes is just help them to start looking at their data better. And we take their data and we, we map this out and show them, this is likely what happened. Can you see how this correlated with this and this correlated with this? Here's the test that we want to run with you and, and let's, let's give that a shot. And sometimes it's not a holdout test. Sometimes if you're small enough, we simply say, let's spend more money on this channel and see what happens. Let's just actually look at your whole bank account. And does it change anything? Yeah, that makes uh, makes sense. So you know, you, you talk about Facebook and and the other tactics. Uh, talk a little bit about the use of of some of your clients, TikTok, YouTube, any place else. Yeah, I love TikTok. TikTok is definitely a platform that is up and coming. We're we're growing a lot there with a lot of clients, and I think one of the things that's really that that I like about TikTok is the rate at which it's growing. And a lot of people still maybe write it off as it's for kids, but the demographics aren't suggesting that. A lot of people, even you know, in older age groups, are on TikTok and are uh, experiencing it a lot more. And it's an enjoyable platform to be on. I, I hate to admit that when I joined it, you know, uh, what, a couple of years ago and started messing around with it, you can get sucked in pretty easily. It's, it's addictive. It's fun. You can just start scrolling and swiping. Um, but from an ads platform perspective, I don't think that it's quite gotten to the point where it drives as much revenue uh, as Facebook does when we look at like the direct attribution from this. But I think that it's getting there. And I think it's something that every business needs to at least start playing with to understand the channel and where they fit there. Because otherwise your competitors will be there and they will be the ones who are getting that, that awareness. But the thing that I like about TikTok the most is that it forces brands to think differently about their content. You can't run the same kind of garbage content that you ran for an ad on Facebook or a lot of other places. People there are a lot more uh, picky about what they want to see as an ad. And you have to make content then that is much more aligned with the TikTok platform. And what's great about that is we can take that content then, run that on Facebook and Instagram, and actually get even better performance than what you're getting on Facebook and Instagram right now too. So if we can get brands into TikTok thinking about content that way, it also helps us improve a lot of their other channels. And on YouTube, YouTube, I'd still say is, I don't know if I'd say it's the number two. It, it's a toss-up between TikTok and YouTube, probably depending on the brand outside of Facebook for a lot of the direct response uh, ads. But YouTube is, it's just a massive uh, amount of search that's there. And I think a lot of people underutilize YouTube, thinking of it still too much like a social platform and not enough like a search platform. 
Um, but there's just the idea that you can build out entire segments of people based around different videos that they've watched on there, right? You can, you can plug in the actual URL of the, URL, of, of the different videos that they're watching and things. There's a lot of really interesting granular ways that you can uh, build out audiences uh, on YouTube. And I think that when people come to YouTube, they're, they're coming here ready to watch something not even just scrolled and you're, you're, you're interrupting with, uh, you know, an ad, but they're coming to watch content on purpose and, and longer content. They're ready to kind of sit down and not just flip through every couple of seconds. Um, and so we've got one brand uh, where the, the best converting ad for them, and I want to say they're spending maybe 150000 a month or so there. It's, uh, you know, it's a decent budget. Uh, the, long, the best converting ad for them is about nine minutes long. That's a long ad, and you're not going to get that on any oh. other platform. It's like watching a TV show. Well, yeah. And I, I've told people before, the Lego, the Lego movie was just a two-hour ad that you were willing to pay to go sit and watch. Well, I wasn't. I, I got forced, <laughs> wound up going to sleep. Oh, uh, no. But, um, that, that, was, uh, that was terrible. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Uh, really good stuff. How do you define a growth hacker? I've, I've always looked at it more as somebody who's going to try to look at the tiny ways that you can exploit exploit something that's taking place, right? Marketing is more generalized as far as like, let's say it's more scientific of you do these things, you do them well, and you do them correctly, and it works, and it's going to work over, you know, an extended period of time. A growth hacker, in my mind, is somebody who's going to look at a tactic, see that there's a way to exploit it, and that exploitation might only last for a month, a week, or whatever that is, but they're looking at these very, very nuanced things. Uh, and an example of that could be, let's say on TikTok, uh, even right now, all of these social platforms, they always have really good algorithms um, that eventually get to a point where it pretty much stops you from being able to go wildly viral uh, as a nobody. TikTok is still at the point where its algorithm allows you to go viral, even if you've got next to no one following you currently right now. That's a growth hack. You look at that and you say, as long as that's still doing it, let's do it. Another growth hack back on Instagram was a lot of the pods that took place on Instagram. There was the ability where people would get in groups of, of people and they'd say, okay, whenever I post something and anybody in this group posts something, then you know, you're going to like and comment it and share it and do everything and I'll do the same for yours. And, and that worked. And it, people exploited that for a while before you know, Instagram got around to it and said, all right, we're not allowing that to be part of the algorithm as much anymore, right? So it's, it stops. And so say growth hacking is just looking at those things that aren't going to last and figuring out how to exploit them. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, I talked to a bunch of uh, folks and uh, I think this is episode 58 and many of them are business owners. And, you know, you obviously have the, the responsibilities of servicing your clients, but you also have the responsibilities of serving your business and your employees and all. Um, how do you balance the, the challenges on your time and the complexities of being a, a business owner and the boss as well as, uh, you know, serving your client? Yeah, that's a tough one, <laughs> right? Um, and I think every entrepreneur faces that challenge. I think my short answer uh, is, is at first just working like a dog. <laughs> I wrote an article um, at Fast Company a couple of years ago that just documents how I created a more sustainable 100-hour workweek schedule uh, allowed me to be uh, that level for a while longer and utilizing even circadian rhythms based on when creativity would be at its optimal versus logic would be at its optimal time of day and, and things like that. Um, but that still only lasts for so long, um, which is why I wrote another article on Entrepreneur about how to not be like Elon Musk when you take your last breath. 
um, again, going back to the nursing stuff, I've, I've actually held the hand of a lot of people as life literally left their body. Uh, and there wasn't a single one of them that have regretted that they didn't work more hours. But I think the hardest thing for, for me, at least, and I think is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, is not actually the work itself. It's balancing work and then family and friends and specifically their expectations and even your own expectations on what you believe you should be doing there as well. Feeling bad for letting them down, even though you try your hardest not to. Uh, and an example could be, you know, my mom sent me a message today and if I didn't get back to her today and I sent her back tomorrow, you could feel bad as a son. Like, oh man, you know, what kind of a son doesn't text his mom back that day, right? And she could feel bad. What kind of a son doesn't text his mom back the same day, right? Um, and, and you can feel bad about that. And I think sometimes it's just being able to remember that you're doing something, you're building something. There's a lot of expectations placed on you as a small business owner. And just remembering that there are, there are only so many hours in a day. We all get the same amount. And there's, a, there's an illustration that I've been using myself uh, around rocks. Are you familiar with the, that illustration of the vase with the rocks and the sand and the pebbles and water? No, no. Okay. So the idea is that you've got a vase. Um, and if you just start putting in, let's say, the water and the sand and then the pebbles and then you go to try to put the rocks in, there's not enough room in this vase to fit the rocks in. But if you put the rocks in first, then the pebbles, then the sand, then the water, it all fits in. Same amount of uh, material. And I think it's the same thing within our lives then too and saying, what are the rocks in your life? How do you make sure that you plan those ahead of time? And while it might not sound as romantic to have a date night scheduled, every Thursday night and your wife maybe maybe say, Hey, I just want to be spontaneous. The fact is my marriage is very important to me. So I will have a rock of every Thursday night, unless something is absolutely blowing up, we're going to do a date night. Um, and, and things like that and saying, okay, how do I make sure that this is important working out? It's important. Schedule it might not do five days a week, the way that I used to do when I was, uh, you know, young and in college and it mattered the more, but it's okay. Three days a week. No matter what happens, I need to make sure that I'm working out. It's a rock. Very good. I love that. that. That's great. All right. We're down to the end of the show. Uh, there's uh, seven questions in my two-minute drill. Um, I know this part will be tough for you. It's one or two-word answers, <laughs> William. Okay. okay. All wait right. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. A, okay. Let me get in the right frame of mind here. Uh, all right. Okay. Here we go. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Apple. But I don't know because we're just jaded in this industry. I, I love Apple, but everybody else I'm unimpressed with. Favorite app on your phone? Impulse, because I'm a nerd. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Sweetwater, because uh, I'm still a music musician. Okay. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were? Giving gifts. I suck at coming up with good ideas, and I <laughs> overthink it all the time. Charitable organization that you're passionate about? There's two, the local church, because I still believe that the decentralization of it is the best way to do it. But the other one right now is Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which is for uh, addiction stuff. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Flying would be the most fun, but probably super speed, because uh, life's short and it'd be great to get more done. Okay. Or jumping on a pogo stick backwards or something? <laughs> that might, might, might be my third. Okay. Other than family, what's your most prized possession? My wife would probably tell you that it's my phone because I'm ADHD and that thing is literally my lifeline to everything in, that's going on. My work, checklist, gift ideas for anniversaries, et cetera. Got it. Uh, where can people reach out to you on social media? Probably the best place is linkedin.com slash in 
slash William Harris, which is actually just the abbreviation WM Harris, uh, and then twitter.com slash WM Harris 101. Okay. Well, we'll put that all out on the notes and uh, it goes on to my YouTube channel and, and all kinds of other stuff. So uh, look, thanks very much, William. This was great. Good information. You've had a really remarkable career and uh, you're a very positive guy. So uh, thanks for the time and uh, we'll catch up soon. Likewise. Thank you very much, Mark. That's it. Today's game ball goes to William Harris for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, working hard is important, but so is having a reasonable work-life balance. William spoke about putting your rocks in first into that imaginary jar. Put them in first and they sink to the bottom. And then you have room for the other things like sand and pebbles. Is your life balanced and are you making room in an orderly way for all the things that you need to do and for the people that are important in your life? Let's hope so. Number two, perhaps there's something more important in a business than identifying the key metrics that making your business successful and then relentlessly measuring them and identifying the tactics that will continue to improve them. You can only improve on the things you measure, so be sure to have the analytics in place to easily identify your progress. And number three, content. I see so many brands spend time and money on digital marketing tactics, but they leave out time and resources for what might be the most important thing, and that's content. You can have a TikTok strategy, you can send emails or SMS messages, but if you do not have compelling content that is brand right and targets your core customer, you can be wasting all of those dollars that you're spending on media. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Yeah.